So today what I'm hoping that we can do as we go through John's Gospel in a very fast overview, uh, we will gain new insights and we will deepen our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. As, as we're looking at John's Gospel, I want you to think of it maybe as hot spots, like where you can show up and get some good information and then move on to the next hot spot and get some more information on the Holy Spirit. Because from start to finish, the Holy Spirit is unveiled as uh, God's presence with His people individually, each one of us, and also God's presence with His church collectively all together. I put this quote on the screen that you see um, from a theologian, Samuel Terrian, who I put it up there because some of the words are kind of dense. Maybe, maybe you don't know all the words if you're younger or aren't a wordsmith, but he says the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is elusive, kind of hard to track, you know, uh, intangible, can't really touch him, unpredictable, never quite know what he's up to, untamed, doesn't do what we want him to do necessarily, inaccessible to empirical verification. That means he's not a science project, and sometimes he moves in ways that are hard to explain scientifically or impossible to explain scientifically. He's outwardly invisible, but inwardly irresistible. Now he's starting to sound like a Presbyterian. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about this theologian, but I agree with this assessment of the Holy Spirit. As John's Gospel says in chapter 3, the Holy Spirit sovereignly moves where He wants to, when He wants to, in whom He wants to. He moves like the wind. You never know where it's coming from or where it's going necessarily. And that's how the Holy Spirit moves in His own sovereign will. The, the Holy Spirit... The word spirit in Greek and the word in Hebrew that we find is also translated often as the word breath or wind. So he moves like the wind, uh, like a rainstorm coming and cleansing our hearts, blowing away the dust, renewing and refreshing us. He's like the breath of God himself, which is breathed into clay to make humans and breathed into dead, sinful souls to make living people with beating hearts that love God. And how he does all this It's hard to predict or hard to explain. One pastor from generations ago said, I was always as meek as a lamb in my ministry. But one day, I woke up, and the Spirit of God made me as bold as a lion. And for a season, for a few years, He did wonders that only God could have done. And then one night, I went to bed as a lion, and the next morning, I woke up as meek as a lamb for the rest of my ministry. Why does God come upon some people in power and why does He allow us to suffer and why does He give certain people certain gifts and not others? Hard to explain. I don't really have all the answers. But we're going to look at John's Gospel and some key areas of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And I want to pray and ask that He would help us to understand better of who He is and what He's doing for us as people. So please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we do come to You in the Father and the Son, one God, and we ask that You give us new insights and deepen our relationship with You, Spirit, so that we might know the Father better and draw near to Jesus Christ and help us to discover, maybe first be introduced, or, or for some of us, help us to remember and be renewed again in Your grace and in Your gifts. Teach us, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, To know God as Abba, Father. Reveal to us, please, all the good things that you've delivered to us that Christ purchased on the cross, that Christ earned for us in his resurrection from the dead, that Christ has 
shared freely in his ascension up into heaven itself. So please, Holy Spirit, show us these wonders. We believe that God is real. We believe that God is there in heaven. But we also say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we believe, Holy Spirit, that you are here. You are God who is high and lifted up now close to us, in us, among us, searching us, convicting us of sin, comforting us in our need. You are God with us. You are God's presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, please speak to our hearts. Light up our minds with new knowledge and stir up our affections to love you more. Change us today, we pray. From the inside out, from our hearts to what we do and say in this world so that we might be faithful and more fruitful to the glory of God in Christ. Amen. We're going to look at John's Gospel. I'm going to ask you to stand a few times throughout the sermon just to keep the joints moving, keep the blood flowing, and so that we show reverence to these portions of God's Scripture. But first, let's flip to John chapter 1 and stand together as we read just a few verses from the beginning of John's Gospel where he talks about the beginning. He says, In the beginning was the Word. He's talking about... God, the infinite, eternal one, and the Word became flesh. And he says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's speaking of the Son of God, who we know as Jesus Christ. He was with God in the beginning and He was God in the beginning. And he says in verses 11 and 12 of John's Gospel, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, that this Word, Jesus Christ, came into His own, among His own people, but they did not receive Him. He came to the world, but the world rejected Him. Verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become what? Children of God. God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Amen? Please be seated. We're looking first at this section because we're looking at the beginnings. We're looking at what happens not only when God comes into the world, but when God comes into His people. See, the Word became flesh, and now we know that God comes into human flesh through His Holy Spirit as well. And this is the first time we hear a hint of it, that we are able to be born of God by His own sovereign will. Not our decision, not who we're born to, or what country we grew up in, or what religion our parents were, but we're sovereignly born of God. New birth is the first point we're looking at. New birth. It's it's God's new creation, not just creating the world or the universe, but creating us again. Creating us as children, giving us a new identity. John says in verse 12, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name. Let me ask you right off the bat, are are you one who has believed in the name of Jesus? And, And that means... Do you believe in his character as true? Do you believe and trust him as a trustworthy person? Do you believe what is said about him in the Bible? Do you believe in the name of this God who became flesh and now is offering to dwell with you by his spirit in your flesh? Have you received him? John says to all who have received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you opened up your life to Jesus and said, yes, please come. Be my father. Be my brother, be my prophet and priest and friend, be my savior, my Lord, my guide, be my comforter and healer. Yes, opening your life, opening your home, opening your schedule, opening your your free time and your friendships and relationships and saying, yes, come be a part of that. Come be the Lord of that. John says, if you've believed that he's trustworthy and you've taken the step of opening your life to him, 
then he will give you the right. It's not a right you have on your own. He'll say, okay, now you have a right to become a child of God. To be born of God. To have spirit birth. Not just for the Jewish people who are born into the covenant promises, but for all people. Not just for the highly educated folks or the ones with the money or the ones with the connections, the resume, who you know. For all types of people. Lowly people, outcasts, downcast people. God is offering Himself to anyone who is humble enough to say, I need you. I believe this is true about you. Please come into my life. And those that are hungry for something more than just what we see in the human flesh, in the human uh, reputations that we all try to portray, in who we are and the importance of the eyes of the world, if we see beyond that, if we see that's not really satisfying my soul, then we begin to hunger for something else. And God says, and to you who hunger for me, I will give you the right to be born of God. It doesn't come through race. doesn't come through pedigree. doesn't come through biological birth or even adoption. I think that's what human will means here in this verse. Not by having Christian parents. Not by having a Christian pastor as a parent even. Biology certainly gives us certain traits. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. Some people may be born with an aptitude to learn and to know. But everyone has an opportunity, according to the Bible, to, to know Jesus, to know God, and to know that through the, the good news that this Gospel of John is explaining to us. Biology gives us certain genetical traits that make us unique. Cultural teaches us some things. Education teaches us other things. There's nature, how you're born. There's nurture, how people taught you. And all those things are important to who you are. You're a unique, a unique person. But when the Spirit comes into your life, He takes all the uniqueness that is you, the fingerprints and the DNA, the genetic code that's you. What makes you happy? What makes you sad? He comes to you personally and He gives you a new life, a new birth. Right inside the existing life that you already have. And there's two different focuses, there's two different emphases that we could look at. When the Spirit comes and gives you new birth, He could be just seen as improving the existing you. So there's the you that you like and that other people like and the you that you don't want to get rid of some things. And those are things God's given you. Gifts and abilities and traits and characteristics. And, and the Spirit just heightens those things. He takes the continuity of who you are and building into who you are in Christ. He begins sanctifying you or cleaning you up or, or maybe sharpening those things, making them useful for His glory and His kingdom. So there's the Spirit's work of new birth in improving you who you already are. Then there's a second emphasis we could look at, which is there are things in your life that probably need to change. Personality traits, sinful habits and behaviors, things that your culture or your parents taught you, patterns of sin and abuse and cycles of uh, wrong thinking. And the Spirit comes and He says, now we're going to clean those things up and I'm going to make you different than that. I'm going to change you in some ways. It's not going to be easy. You might have a lamb-like personality. You might be a very meek person. I might want to make you more lion-like in certain situations. You might be a lion. You might be bold and always brash, and I might want to tone it down a little bit in you and make you more meek and humble in certain situations. You might be an isolated individualist, maybe born into a culture that values your alone time, and I might want to push you more towards the community of my church and the family of faith. You might be an emotional wreck and I'm going to teach you to think and to be at peace more often and to have some vision about beyond the immediate circumstances that you're in. He's saying, I'm offering you a new way of living. I will live with you. I'll give you new birth. And I'll give you a new perspective and a new path to follow. Flip with me to John chapter 3. This is the other chapter in John's Gospel we'll look at for this point of new birth. 
John chapter 3 is the classic passage. And I ask if you'd stand again as we read from John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Jesus is meeting at night under the cover of darkness with this man, this rabbi, this Jewish leader named Nicodemus. He's afraid of what people might think perhaps, and so he comes at night. And Jesus says to him in verse 3, Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you. I like how Jesus puts his amens at the beginning of his sentences, not at the end. Amen, amen, because this is true. Unless one is born of again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus says, you've got to be born of God. You've got to be born, here he says, again, or you could also translate that, born from above. So you have flesh. You have this biological you. You have the psychological you. This is who you are. This is what you were given. But I'm telling you that if you want to get to see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, heaven has to come down and be born in you. Your earthly desires and earthly plans have to have something bigger created inside of them. That's when heaven comes down and teaches you what life and eternal life is all about. And my spirit will blow where he wills and when he wants to, just like the wind, and he will come and create that new life in you. And I want you to learn to depend not on the, the winds of the world that always are changing and you're just like tumbleweed being blown around from this idea to that. I don't want you to be a slave to the wind of the world. I want you to be in the path of the wind of God. I want you to feel the breath of God breathing on you. I want you to know that God is giving you life and he's giving you purpose. One of our brothers, Jack Graves, has not been with us for a few months because he's in the hospital and in rehab and back to the hospital, now back in rehab this week. And Jackie has respiratory trouble and they have a breathing machine for him. And you may have seen people with uh, portable medical equipment like breathing machines or IVs. And I want you to imagine the Holy Spirit is the, the very breath of God that gives us our life. And I want you to imagine you're connected to the Holy Spirit through an IV or like a breathing machine that's over your face with that mask. And you always need him to just exist, survive, breathe, live, do good. You need him with you all the time. And he says, I will be that for you. I will be born in you and I will live in you so that you can truly live. Unless you're born of water and spirit, he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We baptize little Nova today with, with water. Just tap water. It's not holy water. We prayed, we, we prayed that it would be set apart for a holy purpose to set her apart as a child of God today. But Jesus says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that everyone who's born of water, like when your mother's water, the amniotic fluid surrounding that amniotic sac that you're in, when that water breaks and, and they say the, the woman's water breaks and she delivered the baby and everybody's happy, does that mean that anyone ha- that wants to see the kingdom has to be born of biological processes? I don't think so. I think that's way too obvious. Like, of course, you have to be actually a born living human to, to be a Christian and be able to see the kingdom. So I think we can skip the most obvious and say, what does he mean by you have to be born of water and the spirit? I think the most obvious thing is that he's referring to baptism when he says water. But even then, baptism doesn't save us. It's no church denomination, no religious ritual or rite, no um, sacrament can save us. 
But what baptism points to, obviously, is the Holy Spirit's work of cleansing and washing us and making us new, like the water of baptism. So I think what Jesus is saying is, you must be born of the Spirit, who is like water. He will refresh you and renew you and give you new life and give you new birth. He'll make you clean again in the eyes of God. And he's like, he's like wind. He's like water. The Spirit comes and He moves and He recreates and He washes you clean. And that's what you must have. A new start. A new life in Him. There's several Old Testament references. We could look at many of them actually. But several that I want to mention about this water and spirit connection. In Ezekiel 16, we're not going to read it because it's a very long chapter, but I'll summarize what happens in this parable in Ezekiel 16. Um, the prophet Ezekiel is, is told by the Lord himself that the people of Israel are like a young baby. Not a, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or in a nice blanket with people who love her, but a baby who was found abandoned on the side of the road. Because babies are sometimes found like that. Dirty, bloody, and abandoned in a field. That's what God says. I found my people and you were in that condition. But I loved you. I took you in. I washed you. I cleaned you. I nurtured you. I grew you up. And as you grew and mature, you got a little too big for your britches. And you began to think that you were all that. And so he says, then I decided I would have to marry you. So then I washed you again. A bridal bath. It's a, it's a real thing that, you know, You'd want to take a bath before you get married, right? And so back in those days, they didn't have showers. But you make sure you take that bridal bath before you get married. You put the perfumes on and the beautiful garments and the jewelry. And God said, I did all of that to you. I decked you out like a bride. And even then, even though I married you and made a covenant of love to you, you still, your heart wasn't true. Your heart wandered away from me and followed false gods. And so then, flip, flip forward to Ezekiel 36. When God says this, in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. Then I had to go after your heart. I couldn't just wash you as a little baby and adopt you. I couldn't just wash you as a woman and marry you. Then I had to wash your very heart and change your heart and give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. So that's why Presbyterians sometimes sprinkle, because God did it. I sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols that you're chasing after. I will cleanse you. You're not talking about water anymore. He's not talking about bathing or baptism anymore. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. Did you hear me? A new heart, a new spirit. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That means I'm going to take out that cold stone heart that doesn't love me and I'm going to give you a warm, tender, affectionate heart for me. You're going to have affections for me now because I'm giving you a heart transplant. Taking out the old and giving you the new. God is speaking to us through His Word, through Ezekiel, through John's Gospel today. And He's saying, come, let me wash you too. Come, I'm inviting you. I, the Spirit moves when He will. I don't know when He's going to move in your heart. But when the Word is open, when the people are gathered, it's the perfect time for the Spirit to do His job. So I'm, I'm saying He's inviting you. He's saying, come, come and be washed. Come and be cleansed. Come get a new heart. Come get a new spirit. I love you. Stop running after other gods, after other pleasures, after other whatever the wind blows in our culture. Come and let me breathe life into you. Let me blow on you and heal you and make you new again. The Spirit comes to give us new life, new birth. He comes like wind. He comes like water. And He also satisfies us like water satisfies a thirsty person. That's our next point from John's Gospel, a new thirst. So if you stand with me one more time, we'll read John 7 
verses 38 and 39. John 7, 38 and 39. Jesus is standing in the temple in Jerusalem in this chapter, and he's surrounded by enemies who want to take him down. They want to arrest him. They don't appreciate his message and his means and the miracles that he's performing. And so in John 7, with his enemies surrounding him, Jesus stands up in the temple, and in verses 38 and 39, we'll read what he says. John 7, 38 and 39. On the last day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, or also called the Feast of Booths, or in Hebrew, the Sukkot. This is when the people would set up little booths out in the fields, and they would celebrate and remember um, their journey through the wilderness, and they would, they would look forward to the rains that would come and the harvest of the crops that would be grown, and they were simply praying and asking God to bless them with the rain and the new life in the ground, and they had rituals they would do, like scooping water out of a pool and pouring it out on the ground to symbolize the pouring out of the Spirit and the pouring out of God's blessing on them, and so this is the, the last day of this great celebration when they're looking to God to bring the rain and to bring the Spirit and to bring something new, to bring the harvest. And Jesus stands up in the temple on that last day when all these thoughts are in the people's minds. On that great day, He stands up and He cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. So all of you Jewish people who have celebrated this feast for centuries, who are looking to God to bring the rain, to bring the satisfaction for your souls, to bring salvation and and real life, come to Me and I will give you that. Come to Me and drink. For whoever believes in me, so drinking is equated with believing here, whoever drinks or whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You may be seated. Jesus says, I don't want you just to believe in me intellectually. I don't want you just to hear my words and process it rationally and say, I agree, I agree, I, I, can, I can go there with you. I can check that box off. He says, I want you to thirst for me. You have thirst already. I know you do. You're looking for all sorts of ways to satisfy and quench your thirst. But I'm telling you, whoever thirsts, come to me and drink, and I will satisfy your soul forever and ever. I'll give you rivers of living water. I think when he says... Out of his heart, rivers of living water will flow. He could be talking about his own heart, the heart of God. Out of God's heart, he will pour the Holy Spirit onto his people. And I believe it could also be talking about our hearts. Once he pours himself into us, our hearts will flow like rivers of living water. We will be satisfied. We will be filled. When we feel empty and dry, he will fill us again. When, when someone takes our time and our energy and our, and our money and we have to keep pouring things out for people, God will keep filling us. I believe both are true. He says, come to me, you who are thirsty. Come to me if you who are broken and have holes in your bucket and you just keep pouring in and it just keeps draining out. I will fill you in a way that nothing else can. I will satisfy you with living waters. And he says this about his Holy Spirit. My Spirit will be poured out into you and will satisfy you. I'll give you new life. I'll give you new desires, new thirst, and a new satisfaction for your thirst. Think about Isaiah 55, that prophecy where God says, Come to me, just like Jesus cries out on this great day in the temple. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. He says, come to me if you're hungry or thirsty. I will give you wine and milk and bread without cost. It's all free. And I will satisfy you. And I will will fulfill my covenant with you. 
Jesus is saying the same thing. It's salvation is free. The Spirit is free. You're hungry. You're thirsty. Stop looking at other places that cost you so much. And come to me. It costs me everything. And it costs you nothing. Ezekiel, I mean, sorry, Isaiah, once again, a few chapters later in Isaiah 58, I'm going to read verse 11 for us. It says something else about living waters flowing in us and satisfying us, and through us, satisfying other people. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 58, verse 11, And Yahweh, the Lord, will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. What does that mean? In the hot, dry, desert places of your life. The Lord will satisfy your desires. He will make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Springs just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. And he says, I will guide you and satisfy you, your desires, and I'll make you satisfied, and you will become a river of waters. The whole chapter of Isaiah 58 is about mercy and justice to people that have needs. He says, I will satisfy you, if you read the rest of the chapter, so that you can be a satisfying river to others. When you pour yourself out for them, the needy and the hurt and the oppressed and the, and the downcast and the depressed, you're going to be drained in life, in ministry. But I will pour right back into you. I will satisfy you again and again, over and over. Just like the woman in John chapter 4. So flip to John chapter 4 with me. The woman in John 4 who was the Samaritan. She was downcast. She was an outcast. She had been married and divorced five times. And the guy she was presently shacking up with was not her husband. She was probably feeling used. She was probably feeling drained. She was probably feeling empty. She was hungry for a man to love her faithfully and fully. And she came in this story in John 4 to draw water from the well. I've already preached on all these stories, so I'm just summarizing them for you now. Um, You might remember the story. She goes to the well at high noon when it's bright and sunny and hot when no one else would be there. Because they would come in the cool of the day. But she goes when no one could judge her or talk behind her back or gossip about her. And she comes to the well, and as a Samaritan woman, there's really no way that a Jewish man would ever come up and, and start a conversation with her, but that's exactly what Jesus does. With this woman that other men had discarded and, and kicked to the side, Jesus seeks her out. He doesn't wait for her to come with her thirst and say, hey, if anyone's thirsty, I'm just going to be right over here at the well. Just come on over when you're ready. No, he seeks her out. He begins questioning her. How are you today? Can you help me draw some water? I don't have a bucket. I'm thirsty. And then the conversation leads into more personal items like, so, um, are you thirsty for something more than just this water? Because I can quench your thirst. Who are you? What are you talking about? Well, I I know some things about you, like your five marriages and your present situation with this man who's not your husband. And he begins sharing and unpacking and probing in deep things in her heart that no one could know. And then he says this in in John chapter 4. Verses 23 to 24. It says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. He says, Woman, I know what you're seeking. You'll never find it in the arms of those men. I'm seeking you. The Father is seeking you. He's seeking true worshipers. What is a true worshiper? Someone who thirsts for something real. And when they worship what is real, they are satisfied in that. Worship is seeking and being satisfied 
and what is most real, God. And Jesus says, I'm seeking you. The Father is seeking you. And, and God is spirit, and he's seeking you so that you might worship him in spirit and in truth. I want you to worship God rightly and properly, but I want you to worship him in the realm of your spirit, where your desires are, where no one can see or touch or heal or help. Only God can do that. I want you to learn to worship in a way that you're not just singing the words on the screen. But you're doing it from your heart with a new desire. Do you know Christian, Christian life is essentially about desires. That's where it starts. The engine of our desires is what, is what drives the rest of our Christian life. It's good to do the right things on the outside, to follow the rules, yes, to serve people in all the, the right ways. But where does that come from and where's the fuel that will sustain that? It's your desires. You can try your very best with willpower or with someone giving you consequences and punishment to do the right thing, and it just won't last. Eventually, you're going to get tired. You're going to give up. You're going to be frustrated. But when God is renewing your heart and changing with the level of desire, that's the real secret and power of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit in his people changing our desires. One day, um, about 10 years ago, I was riding my bicycle when we lived on the west side, and I was going to work at this restaurant where I worked, part-time to help pay for some of the medical bills that we'd recently experienced and for the adoption of our first child. And so I was biking to work that day. And as I was biking, I was just thinking of all sorts of plans about what I was going to do after work. And some of those plans weren't very good plans. I was thinking some sinful thoughts. All right, if you're sleeping now, this will be a good time to wake up. Hear my confession here. Okay, so Pastor Brad's riding the bike to work, thinking, planning sinful activity that he shouldn't be thinking about. And on the bike ride to work, I said, Lord, Help me not to do that sinful behavior that I'm really thinking about doing and planning. Just somehow prevent me from doing that later tonight, please, I pray. Amen. That was a good prayer. That was a prayer I'd always prayed. I'd always prayed that same sort of prayer, like, please stop me from sinning. Prevent me from temptation or whatever. But then something hit me that was a little deeper. And it was pretty revolutionary for me on the bike that day. I'm surprised I didn't, like, fall off the bike. I think the Holy Spirit put into my heart a different prayer. Lord... I don't actually mean that prayer. If I'm honest with myself, I still want to sin in that way. I'm still asking you to help me, but I kind of know that that's what I really want. More than not wanting to do it, and that's what I'm asking you, I really want to do it, and that's what I'm still feeling. So now I pray, Lord, please change my desire. I, I don't want to do that anymore, God. I don't want to feel that anymore. Change my desire. And he changed the desire. And I avoided that sin that evening. And I began learning a new lesson about my relationship with God and how... The root of my sin is my desire and how I need God's spirit to work in the realm of desires. I need new thirsts. I need new hungers. I need a new desire Amen. if I'm going to be a new man. And so once again, Jesus, through his spirit, is asking us through his word today to test our desires. What do you want? What do you long for? What do you hunger and thirst for? Jesus says, I'm, I'm over here not only waiting at the well, but I'm actually seeking you now. I'm seeking you because I know what you want and I know what you need. And I only, only I can satisfy those things. The Father is seeking you. The Son is seeking you. The Spirit is seeking to make you a true worshiper who will seek the true things that will truly satisfy you. And then life will truly be amazing. This Samaritan woman that we just read about was truly amazed at the Messiah who came and told her everything about herself, her personal life, her, her bedroom activities, and then he tells her about satisfying her soul. And she really began believing and tasting that the Lord was good. And she ran out and told the rest of her village, you've got to come see this. You've got to come. I found the Savior of the world. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Savior of the world, right, at the well. Mm -hmm. You, the adulterous woman, right? The one that had been 
abused and kicked out of her home so many times and the one that was hurting so badly. And they came. They believed her word. And for some reason, because I think God was seeking them, they came and they spoke with Jesus themselves. And many of them believed on that day. And that's our next point, is that when the Spirit comes and satisfies us, He makes us new witnesses. He gives us a new witness and He makes us witnesses as well. So let's look at that from John 14, 15, and 16, but don't worry, only one or two verses from each chapter. Let's stand together as we look at the new witness that the Spirit gives to us and that the Spirit creates through us. John 14, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says this, John 14, 25, I've spoken these things to you while I'm still with you because Jesus was about to die and be raised and ascend to the Father. And then he says, But the, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my, in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He says, I'm going to send you a Helper. And he's going to remind you of the important truths that I taught you. Flip over to chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. John 15, 26. And when this Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. So He's going to speak things to you. He's going to witness to you. He's going to enlighten you to the truth. And then He says in verse 27, You also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. I'm going to witness to you through the Spirit, and then through you the Spirit will witness to those around you about these truths. And then finally, chapter 16, verses 8 through 14. And speaking of the Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And you think, how can I be a witness, God? I can't bring conviction to anybody. I've tried. I've tried to share the gospel. I've tried to talk about Jesus with my friends, and they turn me away. It doesn't stick. Their hearts aren't changed. And He says, that's okay. That's why I'm sending my Spirit. Who will do what? First, convict the world concerning sin in verse 9. I know they don't believe in me. I will convict them concerning their sin. You don't have to. You don't have to keep pointing it out. They already know that they're a sinner. You can talk about your own sin. That's a good tactic. People love hearing about your own sin. Just like you perked up when I talked about mine. That's a good tactic. But I'll convict them of their sin. That's okay. I got that part. Verse 10. I'll convict them, the Holy Spirit says, concerning righteousness. Why? Because they're not going to see Jesus on the earth anymore. I'm going to be in heaven. But the Spirit will still convict them of what true righteousness looks like. Through the Word, through hopefully the people of God, and through their own conscience. He'll remind them what it means to live a good life and that they're not living up to that and they need something better. And then thirdly, I'll convict them, the Holy Spirit says in verse 11, concerning what? Judgment. What's that about? Because the ruler of this world is judged? Yes, Satan is going to be judged and all people. And I'll give them a conviction that their sinful life, which is not righteousness is going to lead to pain, misery, and judgment. I'll convict them of that. I'll remind them of what they already know deep in their hearts. The Holy Spirit comes to witness to us, and through us, He'll witness to others. So you may be seated. Finally, in verse 14, uh, Jesus says this. Verse 13 and 14, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. See, He's speaking to us believers. He's going to keep speaking to us and witnessing to us. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Which you already know, what I'm still going to reveal to you, the Spirit does all of that. And he will glorify me, the Spirit will glorify the Son of God. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think this is a, a beautiful 
an overlooked phrase in the Bible. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take all that I have, all my riches, all my glory, all my blessedness, all that I am as your prophet and priest and king and savior, and I've purchased an inheritance for you. I have power for you and love, and I I have holiness. I get to see the face of God and be in communion with the Father all the time. And all of that, he's going to declare to you. He's going to reveal these things to you and teach you. But not only that, he's going to share those things with you. Now, the word share isn't in this verse, but the rest of the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit brings us into the inheritance and gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. So when he says, I'm going to take all that I have, he's not just going to speak these things to you. He's going to share them with you. The Spirit is the conduit between you and God. He is the middleman. He's the go-between. He's the, the mediator now that the mediator Jesus is in heaven. Now Jesus sent like a second mediator, you could say, to say he's your lifeline between you and the Father. You're never alone. You're always within access of all the blessings that God has for you. He says, and that matters when you go out into the world to be a witness. Because you're never going alone. You're never going with empty hands or empty pockets or an empty um, mind or an empty heart. He says in Luke's gospel, he says, when you go and stand before people who don't believe, even those that are trying to persecute you, kings and rulers and others in authority, he says, do not worry because the Spirit will give you Words and wisdom that none of your enemies will be able to resist or contradict. It's like something out of Star Wars, right? Like Jedi mind tricks. Like they won't even be able to resist it. It's just going to overcome them. It's not your power, of course. The Spirit will give you words that at the right time when He blows like the wind into this person's heart, you're just doing your faithful thing. You're just trying to be a faithful Christian. Just sharing the love of Jesus, talking about Him. And at some point... The words will come and no one will be able to resist or contradict those words and he will have his way in their heart as well. Everything I have, I'm going to give to you and everything that I give to you, guess who you're supposed to give that to? The world around you. You're a witness. Share these things. I'm revealing them to you, not just for your own sake and your own joy and your own privatized Christian life. I'm giving them to you so you can share the truth and the love and the mercy and the joy with the world. So go out there, he says. Give it a try. Take a risk. Start talking to people about me. My spirit is with you. Learn to listen to people. Relate to them. Rely on me. I'll be right there with you. When you get confused and you're not sure what to say, just say a prayer and ask me to show you what would be a faithful thing to say in this moment. Maybe it's just sitting with them for a while, abiding with them, just being there in their pain. I will equip you for all that you need. Be my witnesses, he says. And then the final thing he says here, Speaking of abiding with people, he says, I want to abide with you. And so let's talk about what that means for you to be connected to me through the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the, the fruit of that, the, the product of that, the evidence of that is, is called fruit. He gives us new fruit. So let's stand one last time and read John 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, my Holy Spirit will give you new fruit. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine. Because don't you picture a vine coming up out of the ground? And you are the branches, so the people of God are connected to the vine as branches. Whoever abides in me, or stays connected to me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Oh, you can do a lot of things on your own, but it's not going to be fruitful. It's not going to matter. Please be seated. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the true vine, he says in this chapter. There's no other vine that's true like me. You can try to plug your life into other sources of truth or love or help. But he says, 
I'm the only one that will give you what you need for a fruitful life. You, you can go to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You can lean on your husband or your wife. You can look to your job for satisfaction. You can look to the government. You can look to therapists and social workers. You can look to anything else in the world. But nothing will give you life like me. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. And through the Holy Spirit, you have a living, vital relationship with me. That if you stay connected to me, you will be a fruitful productive person, not only in this world, but in the world to come. He says, you must abide in me. Abiding means trusting in Jesus over time, finding your home in Jesus and opening your life so that his word and his spirit has a home in you. Abide in me and I'll, have, and I'll abide in you. We'll make our home with each other and you will have fruit because of it. Your, your character will develop. You'll become more like Jesus. Bless you. What does Galatians 5 say, verses 22 and 23? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says there's no law against these things. Have you ever seen a law against love or peace? Why does it say that? Well, I think he's implying one thing among several that we could, we could take from it. But one thing is there's really no law that is going to teach you exactly how to love people and how to be at peace. See, we want to follow the laws of the Bible, and that's good. But sometimes you have to get um, the Spirit of God giving you creative wisdom of how to apply the law to certain situations. He can't just spell it all out for you because there are too many infinite scenarios in life. But he says, I'm going to give you my Spirit. And if you're connected to me through the Spirit, you're going to begin to produce fruit. It's just going to start happening. Of course, it takes effort, and it takes wisdom and skill, but you will bear fruit. And there's no law that's going to tell you how to do it, and it's not going to tell you not to do it. So creatively think about Scripture. Pray to the Spirit and say, how can I love this person in this situation? Because it's hard. I don't know what to do tomorrow on Monday when I have to go meet someone that I don't want to meet with and share some things I don't want to share with. And I know that they're probably going to try to pull some fast moves on me. And I want to love them well. And I want to be self-controlled. I'm not quite sure because you didn't tell me the law of how exactly that recipe would go, Jesus. But I need your Spirit's wisdom. That, that's a real story. That, that's true. I, I have to have his wisdom tomorrow for this conversation because I don't know how to do it otherwise. And he says, that's good. Just keep yourself repentant and dependent. That's what abiding looks like. You're going to repent of the things you want to do that you know probably aren't right. You're going to be dependent in the ways that you know I'll help you. And, and fruit will come. Fruit will come. I'm going to close with this story about how our fruitfulness is expressed in repentance and dependence upon the Lord. The story comes from 1908 in Manchuria, China. Anybody want to give it a shout out, China? Anybody? Come on. Nope. Okay. You had your chance. All right. Had your chance. Okay. Anybody want to give the Scottish and Irish missionaries, Presbyterian missionaries a shout out? No? All right. Okay. Well, 1908, Manchuria, China. Scottish and Irish missionaries were writing home about the spirit-given grace of repentance that they were seeing in believers in Manchuria. Here's the letter. A power has come into the church that we cannot contain if we wanted to. It's a miracle for a reserved, self-righteous Chinese man like so-and-so to go out of his way to confess his sins that no torture could ever force out of him. He's telling it all. For a Chinese brother to demean himself, weeping, to crave the prayers of his fellow believers is a miracle beyond explanation. About 60 of us, Irish and Scottish Presbyterians, have seen it. They were in shock. Like, we just don't do this in Scotland, right? It's not how church goes here. But as we shrank back at first. 
We first thought it was just religious hysteria. But for everyone who has seen and heard what we have, there's only one explanation. The Holy Spirit of God has manifested himself. In one clause from the Apostles' Creed, before all of us, in, uh, lives before all of us. One phrase lives before all of us in all of its inevitable, awful solemnity. I believe in the Holy Spirit. How can we deny this is the work of God when repentance leads to faith and dependence upon Jesus? Outside of this man's culture, outside of his biological, educational, psychological box that he was in in their minds, outside of their own little box culturally and religiously that they had brought up in, the Holy Spirit was moving and manifesting himself. And they said there's only one thing to do, to praise God from whom all blessings flow and say, I too believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I know many of us do. And I know that my words seem rather hollow, even as I say them, unless you are in them. Unless you're creating faith and a new birth and new desires and a new thirst and witnessing in the hearts right now in this room and, and then bearing fruit from these words. I know that without that, it's just another sermon. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that as this Chinese brother did, receiving a new life, receiving new desires with a new witness to the world, even to other Christians who saw and were impressed. And there was new fruit in his life, the fruit of repentance and, and change. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive more of your spirit. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in our midst. Open our eyes to see your word and the beautiful gospel truth in it. Open our hearts to receive more of Jesus Christ in believing and trusting in his name. Open our hands to serve. Open our mouths to speak. Open up heaven, we pray, once again as we sang earlier, and rain down on us so that thirsty as we are, we will come and drink from Jesus, the living waters, through the Holy Spirit. And, and as truly satisfied worshipers, help us to bear much fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.